Yeah, it was very exciting. It was what we'd wanted. It was what we'd aimed for. Meanwhile, all the time, we were taking snaps. We were taking pictures. Welcome to this week's When They Was Fab. I'm Ed Chin. And I'm Martin Quibell. Breaking news, as it were. And we brought Kid O'Toole in with us to help talk about what's going on. First off, Pendulette did tell us quite a bit about the upcoming single, presumably now and then. He got some details wrong, but he does have connections. And people who do know things say the majority of what he got is correct. Before we came on, Ed was explaining to me Penn Gillette's connections. So I know there were people that noticed that I was saying online, you know, since when did Penn Gillette become an expert? So, so I stand corrected. I'll say that right now. He's a fan, but he's not a super fan. Yeah. He had some details where he certainly heard the song. So briefly, it's not just the malized vocal from John Lennon. As he described it, they have multiple tracks of just John's vocal. They've also got multiple tracks of his piano. And they were able to take out what he described as the sound of the TV, which is more like a hum from the version I have. But then then again, there may be another demo of the song, which has never been leaked out to the public. You know, it's certainly possible. I mean, I had always heard the hum. But yeah, who knows? They may be working from other sources. And I think we knew this, that Ringo had to put in a new drum track, that George is on the track. From way back when, from the anthology sessions in, you know, 94-ish. Yep, so he's definitely there. They also, as I understand it, are bringing in additional to make it sound more beatly as uh, Penn uh, Gillette said bring in some other vocals I believe from Because there's an outtake from Because which has all four of them and they change the key on it and, and that's the basis of the backing vocals the other comment he made which is one that I'm not putting a whole lot of faith in he says that they have de-aged Paul's vocals using actual <laughs> 
AI as opposed to the mouse style AI. The technology is good enough, particularly given what we as amateurs have, what the professionals have is going to be miles better, but it still sounds a little bit questionable to me. I hope it's not true. That does sound suspect, or it could be that he's using the term AI kind of like Paul did. Well, but he also specifically says that they de-aged his vocal. Yeah, true. Mm. I'm hoping that's not true. And then the question is, when did they de-age it to? Did they de-age it to anthology era Paul? Did they de-age it to 1977 Paul when John recorded the demo? Or did they de-age it all the way back to Beatle Paul? Mm, Good questions. It could be wrong. I mean, you know, they could have done some vocal back then and he's just 1990s Paul. Could be. That's what I'm hoping. The rumor that's going around is that the date on that is going to be early in the fall, probably sometime in September. So we're not going to have too long to wait to hear what the thing sounds like. So we're going to be all getting together again in just a couple of months to give our review. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be nice if it was on John's birthday. (laughs) Well, it could be. It really could be. If they're fudging September to make October, because they don't want to say, I could see that. And then that's also a Christmas release. Yep, makes sense. The other real bit of news, we know that the paperback version of Paul's lyrics combined into a single volume is coming out. With some extra songs. Bluebird, Day Tripper, English Tea, I'm really looking forward to hear, or see, or read him talking about English Tea. Ooh. Yeah. Every Night, Hello, Goodbye, Magical Mystery Tour, and Step Inside Love. The release date on that is November the 7th. Ooh, wow. Wow, I actually didn't know that there were going to be extra songs in this edition, so I may just have to pick this up. They're making us buy it. Yep, (laughs) obviously. They've added them in there, Kit, so that we've got to buy it. We've not got any choice. (laughs) Exactly. I was going to skip the paperback edition, but I can't. I also think it'll be cheap enough. It may be as much as, you know, $25, $30, but I don't think it's be much more than that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You're missing a trick, Kit. You need to do an expanded version of your books. <laughs> hey, you know, not a bad idea. Yeah, there we go. You can always add another couple songs into the next edition of songs we were singing. So It works for Ed Sheeran with his albums. Yes, that's right. The deluxe edition of songs we were singing. Just record record three or four more songs, Ed, and then you could do another album. You could just rewrite it in new handwriting and call it the Kid O'Toole edition, much like our friend Taylor Swift. Yeah, there you go. There you go. (laughs) I do actually like Taylor re-recording all her stuff. It's interesting to see her re-approach her younger material from the perspective of age and wisdom. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, That is, in a way, kind of a different recording. You know, I mean, it isn't like she's just exactly duplicating what she's done. So, you know, so that's legit. It's more than back in the day, like when Mary Hopkins re-recorded Those Were the Days. Note for note. She, she didn't add anything new to it. It's just like, okay, let's come up with a, an exact copy because I want the rights to this one. Right, exactly. And then the other thing which just came out, which is the real breaking news. Paul McCartney is going to be doing his podcast, just what we need, more competition. Yeah, great. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, (laughs) thanks. That's all of us out of business now. (laughs) 
in conjunction with the paperback release, uh, although a little bit sooner in September, they are going to be doing at least two 12-episode seasons. So we know that there's going to be 24 episodes. Whether they do more or not has not been announced. Hmm. Interesting. Now, I've been hearing different stories. Are these conversations they had while they were working on the book? Are these brand new recordings? Um, these are not brand new recordings. There's a little intro, an eight-minute episode zero that's up as of right now. You can go and download it, and you can really hear the audio of the tapes. These are the working tapes, the conversations they had while they were recording it, although oh, yeah. you know, it's edited, obviously. And mm-hmm. that was where all of the commentary, which is in the book, actually came from was from these interviews but i mean they did at least a couple dozen hours worth of interviewing over several years right well that's fascinating i mean to hear you know the working tapes it's not the working tapes because they're obviously editing it down right of course yeah back when the book came out he did just 10 of the songs for the bbc and all he did there was he read the lyrics then he read exactly what he'd written in the book. Yeah. It's much more interesting to me that we're going to hear excerpts out of these conversations. It took us a long time to get through the songs we included in the book, and we recorded many hours of conversations, drawing out details from McCartney's memory and hidden meanings from the music. Well, the book of like going back to an old snapshot album looking back on work I hadn't thought much about for quite a few years. For most of the conversations we were sitting across from each other looking at printouts of the lyrics. Behind the shelter in the middle of the roundabout is selling puppies from a train Funnily enough, a lot of Americans thought she was selling puppies. Mm-hmm. Really? When they, I see. Puppies. Mm-hmm. She's another interesting image, a tray full of puppies. I know she's selling puppies, and though she feels as if she's in a play, she is anyway. That's very sort of 60s. I know she feels as if she's in a play, she is anyway. We never thought anyone would hear these tapes most of which were captured on small recording devices placed on the table in front of us, or occasionally we recorded over video chat. You might hear the clinking of teacups, doorbell chimes, or us chatting over lunch. We were just logging the stories, preparing for the book and getting to know one another. 24 episodes, it's at least going to be 12 hours of mostly Paul and Paul Modum talking, which is really pretty cool. The first actual episode is going to be out in September. we got Ringo's first EP of this new batch. We're going to have Paul's book, and we're probably going to have the new Beatles song all together squeezed into. We know they just love to put all this stuff together coming out at the same time, more or less. Jeez. Yeah, they want all of us to go bankrupt. Exactly. The podcast is relatively free. It will come out week by week, or if you want to pay for a month subscription to the Pushkin service, that's one of those pay-for-play podcast hosts. 
you can do so and you'll get access to the entire season right on that September 20th date. I can see a busy night shift coming there or a busy (laughs) week of them. That is the news. Now on to uh, another conversation without Dear Kiddo Tool. Bye, Kate. Well, let's see. This is now part three of our look at Eyes of the Storm. No, not really. Uh, but although it is does count as part two, because if you haven't listened to it, we did a review of the Stanley Tucci and Conan O'Brien interviews with Paul about the book, but not the book itself. No. So here we are talking about the book. I think we're both really pretty impressed with the book. And I think the general reception is pretty good. It's nice to see Paul discussing something else and having that excitement brought to him through this media as opposed to giving the same old anecdotes that he usually gives. And I'm glad to see that it is going to be touring once it finishes its run in the National Portrait Gallery. That's good to know. Is that going to be all over the world then, do you know? All they've announced is the first site coming to the States in December and running at the Chrysler Museum through February, I believe. Have you got your tickets booked? I haven't. I would have to travel to that. I would expect if it's going to do a run of the States at three months a shot, it's entirely likely it would come here or near here. You know, if it's not Houston, I would certainly travel within the state to go and see it. You know, Dallas or Austin. It should hit one of those venues. Let's hope so. Starting in on the book, Paul has written uh, forward. And I do have to admit, Paul does sound a little bit <laughs> grandfathery in his introduction here. Yes. <laughs> These kids. Yeah, you were pointing out there, there's one quote in there which kind of plays off of something that he talked with Stanley Tucci about that photography was better way back when because you had some mystery and you know wasn't it great when you had to load slides into a slide projector and project them you know it's a case of back in our day things were different so reading the quote traditional photography has more relevance to music and the recording process than you might think Nowadays, some people will come into the studio without a song, without any idea of what they're going to do, and they'll just jam around until something appears. I often think that this can prove to be a great waste of time, and I advise people to have some idea of what they're going to do before they come in and make a piece of music. But just as with phone pictures, they'll record various pieces of music, mix them, and choose later. Yeah, it's like, well, uh, Paul, remember a little song called Four or Five Seconds? Well, yeah. And the fireman, all that, all that stuff was done that way. And the stuff that he did uh, for Egypt Station. Yep. You know, he did a couple songs on, on Egypt Station, which were just, oh, here's some ideas and let's pick the best of them and let's sketch them together into a song. He's blatantly missing, you know, some artist who even he is a fan of, you know, like the Enos and people like that who create that way. They just record on the spot, you know, and come up with stuff. But he's done that himself. Yeah, Paul can be a little bit hypocritical sometimes. Yeah. The other quote I wanted to mention, which is actually sort of toppermost related, the whole thing came from black people who were the pioneers of it all, singing in cities in the kinds of clubs where Elvis listened from the outside, hearing songs that he would later take and mold into his own renditions. That was, and still is to this day, the most popular American music with things like hip-hop just extending the sensibility into a new century. Uh, really, Paul? 
All right, hip hop is a completely different thing to my mind. I mean, you know, there's certainly antecedents from 50s R&B and rock and roll, but they're just as easily antecedents going back to, you know, gospel and the music that came up and became R&B. Yeah, I think it's too much of a blanket way to explain things. It's just it misses it quite a bit that. There's a lot more to it than that popularity based on numbers as with the beatles there are more people now and more people listening to any given type of music hip-hop you know way outpaces the popularity of classic motown collectively maybe not but you know that's not a fair comparison i mean i would have thought that paul's friendships with quite a few artists of that genre i thought that paul would have been a bit more understanding and knowledgeable of that because he's friends with you know dr dre jay-z and kanye kanye of course yeah so last week bruce was in london and gave a show at springsteen this is after the show who went to dinner paul and springsteen and dr dre everybody's jaw dropped it's an interesting combination of folks. I want to see an album from the three of them together. Springsteen works with Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine, and Tom Morello did, what is it, Prophets of Rage with, I think he had Dr. Dre with him and Chuck D as members of that, I think. So you've got links there. Oh, well, I mean, is, is Dre going to talk to Paul after he reads that in the book? Anyway, Paul's introduction... If you've seen the two sets of interviews, there's not a whole lot that's new, but there are some nice little nuggets which can be found in the text. Yeah, there is. is. Okay, this is then followed by a preface, which is fine, but not really anything that we actually need to read. The preface is relatively short, the the Nicholas Cullinan piece. Yes, it it is. Now, the introduction... By Jill Lepore. Historian Jill Lepore has written books on topics ranging from Wonder Woman to the Tea Party. The best-selling author is now taking on a much bigger topic. Beetleland, The World in 1964. That is a nicely done piece of work. It's very well written. Yeah, that is lovely. Although it does, at times, remind me of these podcasts because, well... She keeps dipping back into, oh, here's a relevant quote, or here's this bit of trivia that you might be interested in. Be interesting to see what Al thinks of that writing. (laughs) Notable in there, we get a couple shots of things that aren't in the book. We do get the, uh, with the Beatles, the Le Beatles cover. You can see that they use the Antenne logo on the album cover in France. Yeah. A picture of the Beatles at the Champs-Élysées, just surrounded by reporters. That is a beautifully taken photograph. I love that photograph. That is not one of Paul's photographs, obviously. Paul is in the shot. It's in color. But you just have John, Paul, and George at this little table, and then there's this room full of photographers behind them. I'd like that photograph that that person behind them is taking so you can catch a photograph of them being photographed. (laughs) And the back of Paul's head. Oh, yeah, and the back of Paul's head as well. Yep. And then on the next page, a photo from JFK, which is just stunning. You look at most of the other photos from the 64 visit, there's certainly girls bumping up against the police. But in this shot in particular, you have the whole range of Beatlemania. Two folks, possibly a couple, although we don't know. A young girl about, oh, 14 or 15, who is just 
completely out of her mind. Yeah. When you look at the picture, you can hear that scream in your head almost. But you compare it to the one later on the, from Miami where the car is stopped. That girl, the girl in the headscarf, is that's more shocked and stunned and awed. This is a girl who is, well, orgasmically <laughs> driven almost. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like an experience, should we say. You would hope you could bring your partner to such levels of elation. Yes. Yeah. Two other things about this picture. There are lots of guys in this photo. I mean, that's one thing you also kind of get out of the collection of photos. We tend to think of Beatlemania as being a female-oriented thing. You know, it's the girls. But how many times do we see pictures of just guys or guys... Amongst with the girls, I mean, you now maybe they were <laughs> trying to get with the girls because it's like, oh, the Beatles make them hot. But that might be what the guy next to her is actually thinking. He's got this kind of grin on his face and he's got his arm in the air. He definitely swept up in the jubilation of what was going on. Yep. And so is that guy at the back with the glasses with the really cool jacket on. Who looks a little bit like Peter Asher. I thought exactly the same. <laughs> and then the other thing, you got the police holding back the crowd, and it's one of those, you got to feel kind of bad for the cops. You can see that they're really having to use the strength to push them back, yeah. You wonder why things are the way they are at concerts, and, well, why can't I get closer? Why do they have to have six feet between me and the stage? Well, here's why. That's why. Jill Lepore draws lots of nice quotes. It's very well written. She's a Harvard professor and has a show on NPR, I believe. Yes. And then before we leave her introduction, there's a photo of the Congress of Racial Equality outside the Cow Palace, which, while not completely relevant, I mean, it, it kind of is because, well, that is where the Beatles would play the first two years in San Francisco. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting picture. And I mean, obviously, the Beatles were all for civil rights themselves. Okay, so we move on to the photographs themselves. We start out with a contact sheet. We get a contact sheet for each of the cities. You know, off of this contact sheet, you get a lot of alternate shots of Mal and Brian. Absolutely, yeah. I guess we can't see the whole big shot, so we don't know. But even then, the thing about contact sheets is Paul had marked them up with a grease pencil. He didn't mark any of those pictures of Brian. And there's a shot of George with a cigarette in his mouth. It's like, ooh, I really like that shot. That is a cool photograph of almost James Dean style. So Paul writes, you know, a brief two-ish page introduction to each of the cities that he's in. I like that he's starting out in Liverpool. Paul mentions that part of the reason why they were there is... They filmed a special jukebox jury in Liverpool, and we've been talking a lot about jukebox jury over on Toppermost. Yep, we have. Uh, and then the other one was, it's the Beatles special from Liverpool, you know, for the fan club.
Beatles will be topping the bill in a special radio show on the light program starting at 10 o'clock on Boxing Day morning. The sad thing about that is the BBC used the masters to teach editing. They handed the masters of this special over to incoming film students to teach them how to edit. Oh, So we, we, we still have most of it, but we don't have all of the It's the Beatles special. That explains it, dear me. We do have a really nice full copy of the audio, but we've got probably at most three quarters of the video. I mean, you know, it's not like they even made a safety copy. Oh, it, you know, no one's going to care about these Beatles here. You can practice editing on this. Yep, yeah, I was just thinking, if only they'd have just given them a copy and kept the master. We go into a number of photos. There's a really nice photo. It's not John with his thumb in his mouth, but he's kind of got his hand on his chin, page 42. Okay. So even from the very beginning, Paul was good at picking the frame and knowing how to take a picture of the subject. Now, of course, it helps that he knew them all very well. And it's like, okay, this is when I'm going to get a really good picture. Yeah, that is beautifully framed as well. That He's got John perfectly there, just to the side. So, you know, it's black and white, and it's grainy. It's kind of what you would consider traditional photography of the Beatles. Yeah. Except it's Paul taking the picture. It is. There's a nice photo of Brian from the set that's up front. We talked about that a little bit because that's one of the ones that they chose for the two specials. Yeah, lovely there, natural smile. A photo of Frida Kelly from, obviously, you know, it was in Liverpool. She was in Liverpool, so she would be there. Yeah. She looks so angelic in this picture. She does. Yeah, there among the fans. Peter J and the Jaywalkers, which is mentioned in the Conan interview, I believe. Yeah. Scylla, not quite in focus, but looking very happy here on stage. Yes. I like that. There's almost motion in the photograph. It justifies being out of focus. It does. Yep. Well, it's only a face that's out of focus. The arm's in focus. It's just that a face is moving. That's what it is. Yeah. What I get out of this picture is how everyone loved being on the Beatles stage. Now, of course, the promotion and knowing that everyone's going to see you doesn't hurt, but it's still, there's a joy from the performers as well. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you've got the addition there that they were they were good friends as well, Scylla and the Beatles. Well, Ringo, Ringo and Scylla in particular. Yeah. Michael Braun looking very cool. If you have never read Love Me Do, that is a really pretty great book from the early days and remarkably honest. Right. I need to read that. Mal with his hair slicked back, looking <laughs> <laughs> very much early Mal. And you can see even more than the Beatles, he would go through all the changes of the 60s. He would. Yep. Nice to see Tony Barrow. Tony Barrow, who looks every bit the <laughs> little old man. This is the guy who would write the liners, and it's like, wow. Wow. The smoker of all smokers. <laughs> you know, a number of shots of Beatles backstage. Then on page 64, Gene Owen of the Vernon's Girls. Another one who's very lovely. You know, everyone seems to have ended up marrying one of the Vernon's girls. Not Beatles, but everyone else seems to have ended up marrying one of the Vernon's girls. So who did Jean marry? Her Wikipedia page does not tell us who Jean Owen married. But for some other examples, we know that Andy White married a Vernon girl, Lynn Cornell. 
Right, okay. Uh, we know that yep. Marty Wilde married a Vernon girl, Joyce Baker. Yes. And we know that one of George Harrison's favorite guitarists would marry a Vernon's girl, Joe Brown. Yep, get married to Vicky, mother of Sam Brown. Well, mother and father of Sam Brown. There you go. Is not that surprising because there were so many and, well, women in show business tend to marry men in show business. And everybody, as we've learned, has some Beatles connection. If you're in the business between 1959 and 1970, but it's still kind of interesting. It is. A couple more pictures of her, the guys preparing for a show. Ringo looks so sad having this makeup applied to him. Yes. Page 69. That takes us through the Liverpool section. Uh, We move on to the London section. More photos of Mal in the contact sheet. You can see that he's starting to grow out his beetle cut. Yep. In the Liverpool photos, he was still slick back, short sides basically. And here he's just starting to touch his ears. And he's just starting to comb it forward. Good thinking, Mal. It looks better. (laughs) One of the things about the beetle cut is it hides the ears. Yes. A lot of nice photos of John Lennon and some photos of George's mother. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing to think just how young Louise Elder was at that point in time. Okay. Well, but people looked older back then, didn't they? Paul mentions it in his introduction, the war and rationing and everything else, but... She looks like she's 60 by contemporary standards. Yes. So we move on to London. A really stark, wistful picture of Jane Asher on page 75. Yes. As Paul comments, I often took her portrait while we were together. Well, I hate to say it, but why, why wouldn't you? I mean, it's Jane Asher. Jane doing her hair in the mirror on the following page. Okay. That looks like it's probably backstage somewhere. One more picture of Jane Asher, slightly out of focus, but it reminds you just how pretty she was back in the day. I mean, not that she's not attractive now, but it's that Paul McCartney thing, you know. We were so young, we were all so beautiful. Yes. I was going to say, I actually like what what they've put there. The intimate black and white shot doesn't do justice to Jane's striking copper-coloured hair. Both her and Peter, the hair was just... Now we sound like we're talking about Beatlemania. But the color of the hair was just so vibrant, brilliantly red. It looks like an orange tabby cat almost. Yes. Then a photo without a caption, which someone has clearly taken a Paul. I guess that may be a set. It may be, as you say, one of Jane's stage shows and Paul was just hanging out when they weren't doing something. He's playing the guitar and he's got a little model house behind him, which is what leads me to believe that... You know, maybe this is part of one of Jane's stage shows. But there's yeah. no caption telling us what's going on here. He's using that finger technique that he used for yesterday, you know, before he learned better finger-picking techniques with a nice D chord. Picture of Peter Asher, which we mentioned in the Conan and Tucci shows. Peter Asher just lying in bed. As you do. Having a lie about, and, and Paul breaks in and takes this photo of him. Back of the house, we've told that story. More Beatles photos. It, it, it's kind of funny, and unless something is particularly eye-catching, it's like, oh, well, there, yeah, there's just more photos of John and George. Yeah, no biggie. On page 87, a really nice stage shot of John and Paul. And you can tell they're singing in harmony. It may be like Twist and Shout or something. 
You can't see the position of the fingers to tell what chord they're playing. I still love the whole symmetry of those two on stage and and the whole thing that John right-handed, Paul left-handed. So you've got, it is like a symmetry of the two of them on stage together. And I guess George was just back out of the frame of the photo. Probably doing some cool lead guitar work, no doubt. Then backstage photos, the, the photo that Kit particularly likes. Sometimes fans would be allowed in our dressing room. <laughs> a young girl in a raincoat who is of age, but I don't know. Is she uh, there for a, a reason? Um, yeah. Had she just been uh, with one of the boys? No, I, I don't think they would do that backstage. They didn't have time to do that backstage for the most part. I'm questioning that that's a fan. I, I mean, it could be an actual proper photographer. Uh, maybe. Or she's dressed a little bit casually. Yeah. But if she were just a working photographer, it's possible. I mean, the way she's holding the camera is like you'd see old pictures of Linda holding a camera. She's got a very good technique. It's entirely possible. The opposite page, Paul taking a photo of Ringo in the mirror, and you can see Paul in the mirror as well. I like that. Yeah. Yep. Again, I invented the selfie. And the photo bomb, obviously. The following page, page 90, a picture of Neil smoking with John out of focus in the foreground. It's an interesting photo. It's like they're just relaxing between bits and pieces, and you can see the sink there as well. They're talking about arrangements or something else, or John's complaining about the food in the hotel. I was like, oh, well, I'll, we'll try and do something about that. Yep. Neil, always the go-between. Page opposite. The foremost at the Beatles Christmas show, while they still look a little bit 50s, those guitars are really nice. They are. I love that precision bass. That's gorgeous. John with his sunglasses from the rehearsals for the Beatles Christmas show. I wish that audio or video of the Beatles Christmas shows existed. All we've got are those snaps. We do have the interviews and stuff before and after the Christmas shows, but... I would have thought that Brian would have at least kept a reference copy somewhere, audio-wise, and it's like, no, well, no, not that I know. More photos of Vernon's girls on stage. A photo of George asleep. I like that. Yep. The photo of John biting his thumb. We've spoken of that. More assorted photos from the contact sheets. Paul likes a lot of the pictures of John. What can you say? <laughs> pictures of Paul. Someone had taken with Paul's camera. You can tell Paul was better at the framing than when he handed the camera off to somebody else. This is a picture that you would cut down because there's way too much headroom in these shots. You know, Paul's in the bottom half. Paul would have framed it much better. Yes, he would. John and Paul clowning around. George Ringo. Bill Corbett, their driver. Another nice photo of Mal, although, you know, we were saying that he was starting to grow the beetle cut. Here it's kind of back the other way again. His hair, that is. Yeah. Page 107, Judy Lockhart-Smith, who had become Judy Martin. She looks slightly frumpy here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Another photo of Scylla. Paul still can't get Scylla in focus, but it's Scylla in a mirror looking very much. She's like, I'm getting ready for the show. I'm excited. I'm happy. Yeah. Psyching herself up almost. Yeah. Must have been cold backstage if she's wearing that thick cardigan or whatever it is. Well, I mean, backstage is always cold. You know that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Particularly in those days when the lights would heat up the inside of the theater, something fierce, they would have to crank the AC up as much as they possibly could. Yeah. If you ever go to see a network late night talk show, make sure you take a sweater with you. There is no studio colder than David Letterman's. <laughs> None. I'm going to guess 42 degrees. Maybe. 
And, you know, you can't wear your winter coat when you walk out there. But everybody on, you know, the stagehands, they would wear heavy coat, winter coats. And they would wear them during the show. But Dave loved it really cold. Audience stays awake. You know, guests stay awake. But I remember the first time I went in there, I'm like, damn, is this cold? One of the memories I have of when I went to the Ed is just how freezing it was inside the building. Damn. John and Robert Freeman. That's a nice photograph. A full page photograph. In 2019, Robert Freeman, the Beatles' favorite photographer, passed away. Robert Freeman is responsible for some of the most iconic album covers in pop. He worked with the Beatles throughout most of their career. He was intimately connected with them. In fact, he lived just downstairs from John Lennon for ages. Paul McCartney wrote lovingly of Robert Freeman when he heard about his passing. I love that we get to see the writers and the photographers that were around them. Names that we know, but don't necessarily know what these people look like. Yep, um, obviously him and John are having a good chat there, I'm guessing. John, about something. Who is this girl on page 115? Do we know? Are you think that's just a fan? Opposite George. Yeah, I don't know. From the looks of her, it's like, ooh, I'm going to see the Beatles. And ooh, I've got big hair. Billy J looking... Ever the I want to be a 50s rock star. <laughs> yes. You compare Billy J to the Beatles in appearance. He has said frequently that what he told Brian was, I don't want to grow the haircut. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. But I'm happy to play or sing what you tell me to. My goal is to be an all-around entertainer. Nice Andy Williams style haircut there, Billy. On page 121, the photo of them stacked on top of each other, which would almost become a monkey's trademark. It is interesting that Paul explains why they had them do that. It turns out this was for a single column in a newspaper, as the editors didn't always have room for a wider image. That makes sense. <laughs> they would do something very similar for, what, the Lady Madonna's picture sleeve? I think so. So that takes us through London. We're into the contact sheet for Paris. It's a different era at this point. You can see things starting to move forward. There, There is no question that they are the undisputed rulers of the UK. Here they are moving into the rest of the world. Lots of nice pictures of John in the contact sheet. And he has the cap, which would become the Hard Day's Night cap. A blink, and you might actually think you're looking at John in a Hard Day's Night. There's one where he's smiling, which very much looks like something that would have been staged for the Hard Day's Night photos. Yeah, that one at the end. More selfies of Paul, one where the top of his head is cut off. Okay. The first of photos from the car, I like his comment. Our chauffeur told us he could speak French. He couldn't. Wonderful. It's <laughs> a nice picture, that is. More from the Olympia, a version of the famous Beatles and Trini Lopez next to each other. Yep. The gendarmes, seeing all these cops in their different outfit kind of reminds me of that bit out of the Ruddles. Looking at you. Australia. At you. Canada. Wales. The Ruddles were now worldwide successes. <laughs> Dezo Hoffman and Harry Benson. More pictures of other photographers.
Dezo Hoffman is a highly acclaimed photographer who spent a lot of time with the Beatles. Dezo, good morning. Good morning. And Dezo was, he was a star photographer, he's also a very good friend of ours. I felt 17 again. I could have been their father when, when all this was happening. A full page of paparazzi, which includes Dezo Hoffman, wearing a nice pointy little hat. Yes. More photos that Paul just liked of Paris street life. Yes. And that gendarme looks a little bit like George on page 136. A little bit. More Olympia photos. Brian with the camera. I like that. You know, Brian is having fun. This may be some of the happiest sets of photos of Brian that we get. Absolutely. Yeah. We had so many pictures of Brian. Oh, Brian is troubled. Oh, Brian is this and oh, Brian is that. And you can see it in his eyes. Here, I want to hold your hand was certainly rising the charts. Did he know it was going to be number one? Maybe. But this is quite possibly the happiest he ever was during his time with the Beatles. Probably. George scowling on page 145. Although he may just be yawning and unhappy at being woken up early in the morning like some of us. Probably. More of the driver, more of Neil. Interesting frame of a photo. John is in the background, out of focus, and the flowers in the front are in focus. So that has to have been intentional on page 149. Absolutely. Sophie Hardy, another very attractive woman. As I had mentioned to Kit, Paul knew how to take pictures of the girls. With the exception of the one photo of Judy, Paul makes them look good all the time. Yes. Yeah. I mean, even just the random photo of the fan or the photographer, you know, she looks very attractive just leaning up against uh, the table there with the camera in her hand and looking at the Beatles. Yeah, true. Them clowning around with the clay which would become the bronze bus. You know, even those busts are something that is iconic, that we know them just by looking at the images. Here is George actually dressed up as a gendarme. Oh, right. Uh, yep. Yeah. There you go. Page 154. Ringo and John in Napoleon hats. <laughs> the photo outside the Olympia, the blue bricks photos. Opposite, another really nice photo of George. George looking thoughtful. Page 157. Yeah. Billboard with the Beatles at Olympia. Astra's photos, John outside the Olympia, Johnny Halliday, the story which we had mentioned that uh, Paul did not know who these guys were, and his buddy, Elvis Costello, had his friend call up and say, that's my dad. Yeah, playing that really cool guitar, yes. Trini Lopez's band, including Mickey Jones, who was from Houston and was better known as an actor. George Martin in the studio looking very professional now. Because they're recording Sleep Dich and Home Give It a Dying Hand. Yep. A girl next to Trini Lopez's drummer, another unidentified photo. Yeah. You know, I guess Paul just didn't know who a lot of these people were. It's not like nowadays, you take my picture, you need a photo release, even if you're just taking snaps. Yeah. Sleepy Neil, random girl with a cigarette who, once again, has her head cut off. Paul likes doing that in these photos. Prep for the photo, which he would later have from Miami. Sylvie Vartan on stage. It's not her up front that draws my eye. It's the girl singers behind her. Yeah, it's almost like they're more in focus than the lead singer, in a sense. Yeah. That takes us out of Paris, and we're moving on to the States. Here we go. The mania begins. Or gets bigger. Contact sheets. Mostly it's Sullivan. Shots from Pan Am 101. Talking about Brian and the way Brian looked earlier. 
here you can tell that he really isn't sure what's going on. What's yeah. going to happen when we get there? Yeah. Page 172. Panel flight 101. I know on the plane over I was thinking, oh, we won't make it. Oh, I said it on a film somewhere, you know. But that's the side, that's that side. Of, we knew we would wipe it, wipe them out if we could just get a grip on you. Let me be your man. It was like flying into the unknown. We didn't know what to expect. You know, we were going to, going to America, right? And it was the first time for everybody except George. Look to America in our days at school, you know, because all our favorite uh, stars were all from America and they made the good guitars and stuff. So it was a thrill to be here and we could buy the real records rather than, you know, the cover versions. I wonder why Paul didn't capture any pictures of Phil Spector. We know Phil was on this flight. I don't know. Mm. Another one of George Sleepy. A really nice photo of Michael Braun looking through the barrier at what's going on in the rest of the plane so the door is mostly closed but there he is he's, okay. he's not quite the evil eye it's like oh i gotta know everything that's going on yeah <laughs> columbus circle arrival in new york several photos of that the cops in their old style cop uniforms the double-breasted things cops on horseback while they're keeping the order here it doesn't seem quite as difficult as it did in that photo at the very beginning we spoke of from JFK. Is that Ringo in that next photo, taking a photograph? Um, uh, looks like it. Yeah, smack bang in the middle. I guess I need to pull Ringo's book because that photo may be in Ringo's book. So he's taking a photograph of Ringo. What if Ringo was taking a photograph of someone else taking a photograph, and then you could get all of their <laughs> photograph as well? Rashomon. Yes. Uh, <laughs> The cover photos, a couple photos of New York cops. Paul has an eye for faces. Even if it's people he doesn't know, he finds interesting faces. Central Park from that first visit when George was ill. I yeah. like this guy with the film camera who has at least three other cameras with him. Yes. On page 189. Amen. And we get a close-up of him with the film camera a little bit further on. Beatles clowning in Central Park. Yeah. Uh, the shot from their hotel room. Wow. That is really neat. At least I guess that's that's from their hotel room, or is that from Sullivan? It's not marked. No. Page 193. No, I think that's from Sullivan, actually. Okay. They were upstairs at Sullivan, and Paul just went out the window, and because I believe that is what is now Rupert G's Hello Deli. Well, currently Rupert G's Hello Deli, of David Letterman fame. Don't quote me on that, but... I think so. More scenery, water towers, the Ronnie Spector photo. We still don't know who the fella behind her is. No. Cynthia looking quite thoughtful, reading the papers, continuing on from the double exposure. The room is still a mess. It is. Mind you, being in a hotel, it'd be a cleaner available from the staff. Oh, well. Uh, Paul with Murray the K. Paul, Paul scowling wearing Murray the K's hat. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> The rehearsal is one of the alternate sets for Sullivan, which didn't actually make it. As Paul commented frequently, there's the riser. Now, on the way to D.C., you know, you were saying the pictures of John before look like Hard Day's Night photos. These, particularly, you know, Ringo there with the cap on, looks very much like Hard Day's Night photos. Yeah, absolutely. Into the Coliseum, the Coliseum, where one of their opening acts was Jay and the Americans. Not to keep pushing toppermost, but listen to the August... Toppermost, there will be a story about Jay and the Americans in there. So, on the train, more scenery shots. Picture of Ringo smiling on the train. 
Yeah, this New York photo of the fellas with the snow shovel. Again, it's kind of the disparate nature of what's going on, what the world was like in 1964. Yeah. Interesting composition, interesting faces, you know, what you can see of them. Paul really liked the train shots. Another of George Martin, in the George Martin Arena special, they describe him as being very James Bond-like. Something I didn't get, but this photo, George Martin is James Bond. Yes. The cigarette burning, and you can imagine his eyes sort of darting everywhere to see what's going on. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it now. On page 210. Louise Harrison, back when she and George shared a face. We talk about Danny looks like George look then. Louise and George, despite not being twins, tell me they don't look almost exactly the same in the face. Absolutely. Yeah. So another train worker photo, the famous one. DC shots, the Capitol, the White House. One which amuses me. I guess this is a pre Times Square, pre modern sensibility adult theater. Christine yes. Keeler goes nudist plus Playgirls. But it's a nice place. It's not like you just damp or vaguely dingy, dirty kind of building, you know? No, it looks clean. Very clean. Much like Paul's grandfather. Yep. Uh, also well taken as well. You've got everything exactly where it needs to be on the photograph as well. It's That is one of the things, and we've commented on it before, Paul knew how to take photographs. That has to have been one of the things which drew him and Linda together. Paul said in all these interviews that he was taking photographs with a box brownie anyway. In kind of the Liverpool photos, he kind of knew how to take pictures, but not really. But by now, he's really getting pretty good at it. I wonder how many photographs he's actually taken between those times, because we're only seeing around a quarter of the photographs. More street scenes really showing you just how bad that winter actually was. I like Paul's caption, just brr, page 220. (laughs) Yes. You can tell that it's a blizzard. That's a lot of snow. The snow is everywhere. The poor photographer is like, can I even take a picture through this photo? Well, Paul found a way. The marquee at the Coliseum. I guess this was the last roll of film because you'll notice to the right, it sort of goes all dark. Yeah. Page 223, which is what happened when you reached the last shot or two of a roll of film back in the day. You kids, you don't know what you've got with all of this digital photography. And it's great just to see these cars on the street. You know, all these now vintage automobiles. Uh, Headscarf Girl, who we have commented on page 227 waitresses who came to the window just to see the beatles and there's an older woman who looks like a posh vaguely society woman waving at them in front of this diner maybe a jewish grandmother almost there's the dc shots as i had mentioned i'm a little bit surprised there's nothing after the show and there's nothing on the way to the British Embassy, although maybe there is some of that that just weren't interesting enough for them to use. And also, as you say, it's quite possible that they just didn't allow Paul to take pictures there. Yeah, very possible. We're on to the final section. We're into Miami. You look at the contact sheet. Now it's almost no shots of the Beatles. It's all crowds and scenery. Okay, we made it. Everybody else is getting pictures of us. I want to document what this felt like to me. Those other guys? Yeah, okay, sure. So cops as they leave New York, Gate 54 at JFK. Yeah. yeah. Constru- are they construction workers? Uh, 242 on mine, so would that make it 232 on yours or something? 
where you've got the comma van at the back and all the cops there, and then all yeah, it looks like construction workers. Either that or guys who are loading the airplanes and such. They do have hard hats on, so mm. when they get a moment, the cops even stop and stare. Yeah, I'd like to think that they had a good rapport with the police. I'd like to hope so, anyway. John, when he was living in New York, was very complimentary to the NYPD, and he would always mention how they were taken very good care of on this trip. Yeah. Much to the annoyance of some of his friends at the time. Airplane photos, Ringo giving the most Ringo facial expression ever on page 238, looking out back behind, oh, Paul's taking a picture. Oh, yes. The funny thing about that is you look at the back of the airplane seats, it's like, other than a screen... Those haven't changed in 60 years, have they? They look just like the back of any airplane seat on any airline today, just about. Granted, there's not much you could do with them, but it's still kind of funny. I was going to be sarcastic then and say you can't change perfection. Into Miami, we cannot pass the picture on page 240 without mentioning the chimpanzee. And then we go into color. Yeah, and then we go into color. Look at that. New film. Paul Change film. He's paid more for some color film. Ironically, black and white film costs more now than color film. Hmm. The photos of them driving into town are really interesting. Here is something where the world has changed. You know, you see the neon, and and once again, you see everybody trying to get a glimpse of the Beatles. Absolutely. Even people who sat on walls. It really does look like a parade after a sports championship these days. Um, we, We go back to black and white. These may not quite be in order. I guess the whole highway signage would have been something relatively new to Paul because the, the British didn't have signage quite like this. And then uh, the other thing I'm sure which attracted Paul's eye, to Miami Beach. Yes. We're here. We're in this car. We're moving forward. But right ahead of us, there's Miami Beach. More lovely pictures of the vehicles. And this is another one where Paul just got the framing correct. It looks good. It's a good picture. Yes. The cop with the sidearm, taxi with Miller High Life advertising on it, into the Deauville. More crowds. You really get an idea of just how claustrophobic this whole world was for them. This is the one that you had mentioned. I can almost hear this girl scream. The vehemence is not quite the same as it was at JFK. No. Here, it's, it's them. It's them. Wow. Here's what's going on. Isn't that amazing? It's more controlled at Miami, isn't it? For sure. But you look at the way that that girl is dressed. She probably is a schoolgirl. It looks kind of like she had a, a school uniform on. Yeah. Although, again, that may have just been the way the girl's dressed at the time. She's a little bit younger, maybe 13 or 14. There's a lot of young people that... And those boys are also really young, you know? Yes, they're really young as well. 12, 13, I'd say. Pre-adolescence, I would say. An overhead shot... I guess he was up in the hotel and the beach is down. You can see that the kids have written John, Paul, George, and Ringo in the sand. Yeah. I'm guessing that that's the shadow of the hotel. Lots of nice shots of the ocean and life in Miami. A girl in a striped two-piece coming up to Ringo on page 257. Yep. Scenery showing just how high up they were. The birds were below them. Wow. Rehearsals at the Deauville. It was 
demolition day for the historic Deauville Hotel in Miami Beach. The Deauville was a famed spot where the rich, the famous and the beautiful of the late 50s and 60s would gather. In February of 1964, the Beatles made their live appearance at the Ed Sullivan Show. It's a lot of history for me because I worked at this hotel years ago. I'm a musician. Marvin Thompson performed at the Duville more than 10 times. He would have rather seen another outcome. The once luxurious resort came crumbling down. The Miami folks are just so sad about it, but I am too that they tore down the Deauville. They couldn't find some way to actually keep it as an institution. You know, even if they just made a little shrine and sold the rest of it to other ventures and kept it in the same general shape of the hotel, that would have been okay. But they just tore it down. I know. Why they didn't have protection on that building, I don't know. Barely standing now, the world-famous Deauville Hotel, where the Beatles played that February night in Miami Beach in 1964, Worn over the years, closed five years ago, an electrical fire finally too much for its current owners. And it's been neglected ever since. The fact that it was one of the first Sullivan things, you would think that that would have had something keeping it there. Lots of really nice rehearsal photos, and we do have this whole rehearsal set, all of them wearing those terry cloth robes. Yeah, lovely picture of Ringo with Mal at the back of him. Neil lying out in the sun. It's great to see all of these photos of the Beatles and their entourage with their shirts off. The definition of pale, white, skinny guys. With the exception of Mal playing basketball. I mean, basketball was slightly global, but not really. It was an Olympic sport. But there he is, and he's playing with kids. You know, he's, he's a good two feet taller than any of the other folks playing with him. At least he was a big guy. It's like they were hanging out and there were some kids playing basketball. I was like, can I play? It's like, well, you're two feet taller than the rest of us, but sure. You're British and you're wearing glasses, so you don't know anything about this sport. No. And from the photo on page 267 where uh, Mal is looking up at the ball, you can really see what he was talking about and get back when he used to be pretty fit. Yep, he did. Yeah. By 1970, you know, he just hadn't had the time to keep that up. The girl in the yellow two-piece with George, George living the lie. Yep. Buddy Dresner, really, really great guy. He's the cop who looked after the Beatles during their stay in Miami. There's lots of stories of... John didn't want to go. Okay. To, to the church. Yeah, he yeah. didn't want to go. He, he wasn't that sociable. You know? uh, it was Paul and, and Ringo. They went. Because they were, you know, they wanted the girls. And George says to me, uh, let's you and I go out and get a drink. And he had this uh, yen that he, you know, uh, to see Miami and right. so forth. And so I said, okay. So I put on a shirt and we drove all around. I showed him different parts of uh, Miami and this and that. And uh, we went over to uh, Max. Dalton Roost. Yeah, yeah. next And we had some drinks and uh, made a couple phone calls. And young lady showed up for, and George went off and I had a nice time and came back. And we, we went uh, riding around. This was around. a professional woman? Yeah. Yeah. And I said, if anything happens to him, had a place to hide. 
where did they go off to? You know, the horror park. Uh huh. And they came back, and uh, back and the when when he walked in, the waitress was cleaning a glass on her plate, uh -huh. and she just kept <laughs> wiping that glass, you know, wiping the glass. And he reached over, shook her hand, gave her a kiss, you know, and I thought she'd melt. Yeah. Buddy and his adventures, you can find those online. They're great stories. One evening he took the Beatles home and they actually ate with his family. And, you know, that's becoming a common theme as we go through some of this stuff, that they would always take the Beatles home. <laughs> wow, it's amazing. The teenage daughters would always just be, ooh, the Beatles are in our house. Yeah. More photos from the boat. Now we're back to black and white. Despite being a skinny white guy, George has got a little musculature on his arms. I guess that's from playing the guitar. Probably. Probably. John and Cynthia John taking pictures here. Where are those photos, I wonder? Yes. Maybe Yoko has them. Maybe. The photo I love, just because of its non-sequiturness, there is only one Mr. Pants. Oh, yes. Ringo looking very cool in Miami in black and white. John and Ringo wearing... Free swag, and once again, those cherry cloth robes. Yeah. Lots of nice color pictures. A picture on page 284, which could almost be labeled John Lennon walking on water. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, Jesus isn't the only one who can walk on water. I can do it, too. <laughs> no. All um, right. No. No, no, no. no <laughs> not, not going there. I love the color of Cynthia's dress there. Yes. Yeah. You know, Paul spoke with... Stanley Tucci about the use of color grading and, and how that has kind of changed. Here, this is a photo where you can really tell. You know, I don't know if that was the actual color of how things were or if this is just slightly oversaturated because that's how cameras were at the time. But it's still just a lovely photo. Lovely hat as well. Yep. More fun at the poolside. George Martin wearing a dress shirt and wearing swimming trunks. Now here, Judy looks really great. She does. This is the photo of Judy that she would want out there, I think, as opposed to the other one. Murray the K watching George apply, apply sunscreen. All of them with Brian still wearing the terry cloth jackets. Yep, even Brian's got his own. George getting ready to throw Judy into the pool. Right. <laughs> More out on the water, John and Cynthia. The two photos that Tucci had side by side of George and Cynthia. George out on the water. We still don't know whether he was just, he was water skiing or whether he was standing up on the boat. Yeah. Uh, Ringo definitely standing up on the boat with his camera around his neck. Yes. Yep. More from that same day, just them hanging around. A, a really nice photo of John and Brian talking to each other. Just sitting there relaxing and talking to each other. On page 296. Do we know who that person is with them, though? Uh, don't know. Cannot tell and not identified. No. Someone else will contact Paul soon. That's me. That was me in the shirt as, at the side. As Conan, as Conan says, that's that's Ray's barber. Yeah. <laughs> Girls being kept away, but still thrilled at having a glimpse of the boys. Brian, Brian almost looking like the impresario he is. Not quite, but almost. Almost. Page 298. Paul with the fish, which Conan talked about. The picture which Kit liked because, okay, there were Jane Asher photos. And here's a photo with Paul and his Miami date, Diane mm. Levine. I called for Miss M M Ms. He's, he's very careful to use the current terminology. 
Ms. Levine at her father's office, and then we went for a drive-in movie together. Jane is cuter. Yes. I like her face in that first picture. Paul takes a really good picture most of the time of women. She's a little bit young. I don't think that that was necessarily an actual date. I mean, yeah, I'm wondering if it was, yeah. From the looks of her, she she's not 18 yet. It might be that she was just 17, but even that is pushing it a little bit. Yeah. You, know, you, you look at her clothes and you look at just the way she looks in these photos. Yeah, it's way beyond compare. <laughs> a really nice Miami sunset. Lovely. And that then takes us to the coda. There are more photos uh, from the set at the end here. Photos from later on, page 307. An interesting backstage photo because... Every backstage photo looks exactly like this. They didn't have anything fancy. They had a table. They had maybe a chalkboard. And they had a couple of racks of clothes that Mal would go through and get ready for them. Living the dream. I've seen backstage from like Cincinnati and from here and from Kansas City. And it's like, they are all exactly the same. Yep. No. Yep. No, no bells and whistles there. Clarence yep. Frogman Henry, one of the really... Nice things, again, the toppermost reference, because a lot of the acts that we talked about on toppermost are pictured here in this coda. You know, there's Jackie DeShannon and the Exciters, who we've also mentioned, and Into the End. Another lens by Rosie Bradley, which has a couple more photos, but takes us out of the book. And that is 1964 Eyes of the Storm. It's a beautifully put together book, that's for sure, and it's a Great photographs. Absolutely. And and every time you look at it, you'll see something different in one of the photos, you know? I mean, I know Paul's mentioned it in his interviews, but I also like all of the photographs that catch them naturally and not being all... Beatly. Beatly, yeah. Just catching them in, in natural poses or in natural situations. And, and Ringo's book, you know, Ringo's photos are very good at that as well. Yeah. Perfect books to have side by side with each other, you'd say. If you haven't picked up Ringo's book of photos, the first book of photos, not Another Day in the Life and not the ones he's stolen from the net. Yes. <laughs> Which I don't dislike as much as some people do, but I agree it was a little bit cheeky of Ringo. Although if anyone is allowed to do it, he's allowed to do it. Yeah. Has anyone got any pictures that I can pilfer for my own book? Thank you, Martin. We are figuring out our... August schedule for Fab and the August edition of Toppermost is recorded and will be out before too long. Absolutely. Yeah. And otherwise, you know, well, we're into August and I, I'm a little bit disappointed that the mooted Ringo anniversary box has not become something. I'm slightly wondering, you know, that. And it's been a long time since we've heard anything from Paul's reissue that he's going through all that lot, those albums. Yeah, I mean, the the, the archive editions, uh, you know, what's going to happen with Back to the Egg? You know, that double, the, the 79 double, London Town and Back to the Egg is, we know it's done. You know, we just don't have a release date on it. Not exactly Beatles, but I will, I will say to people, the Shankar and Family reissue, that's well worth people checking out because you've got two Beatles on there in George and Ringo. Klaus and Nicky Hopkins on there as well. Oh, 
close out this since we're talking about stuff. You know, I'm glad and I hope some of you got in on the free plus $8 shipping deal on vinyl because, you know, it has all come through in colored colored 180 gram vinyl that people were paying 40 and $50 for. I got for 8 bucks. Ooh. That's brilliant. And and in in some cases it's worth it. You know, the extras for Flaming Pie and the extras for Red Rose Speedway were reproduced for it, and I, I'm i happy to have paid $8 just for those. So so would I be if they'd have been available in the UK? If it had been available in your country, but oh well, tis a shame. Less stuff you have to figure out what you're going to do with in about 30 years' time. Yes. Yeah. So, all right, very good. Thanks, everybody. We will be back soon, and as I say, the... July episode of Toppermost should be out in very short order on for you guys, and we are recording the August soon. Talk to you later. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we can be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. Take care. Photos taken in a very intense three-month period at the end of 1963 and early 64, when Beatlemania was taking hold and the band went on tour to the United States. The photos were only recently discovered and I asked Paul what was it like to find them again? It was really, really good actually because I thought I'd lost them and um, I assumed that because the 60s was so loose and doors were left open and you know, I would invite everyone in and, and stuff, you know, and a lot of stuff went missing, so I thought this would all be missing, but uh, my photo archivist, who mainly deals with Linda's work, she said, no, we've got them all, and so I said, wow, let's get them out, let's have a look at them, so I was very pleasantly surprised. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on, and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again. Hey.